Gospel of Luke this morning. Our text will be found in Luke chapter 21. I'll be reading verses 10 down through verse 19 in just a moment. I want to welcome every single one of you here to the Lord's house on the Lord's day. I, I, think, it's, I think it's fitting and appropriate to welcome new members of Big Woods. And so it is a joy to welcome for the very first time um, a little one with us, Noel Aurora Codner is in church for the very first time. Um, Technically, she's not a member yet. She signed up for the classes. We're going to get her in those. Um, Noel Aurora, a beautiful name. Don't ask me how to spell Aurora, um, but that's okay. Pop-up's princess is probably what we're going to call her. We're praying for 15 grandchildren, just to let everyone know that. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) We've been involved in a little series here on the local church. It's called ecclesia, Greek word for church, or those called, called for a purpose. And we looked at certain promises that God has given to us, that the Lord Jesus Christ in his ministry here on earth reminded us. We look first and foremost in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, that Jesus said, I will build my church. It's a promise that we can rest assured. We don't have to worry about, like, is this going to take off or not? Jesus promises as the foundation that he will build his church. We looked at John chapter 14, verse 18, where Jesus said, I will come to you. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what happened, that we are empowered to accomplish the purpose that God has given through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we looked at the fact, what, from Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. He will give to us a clear job description on evangelism and and discipleship and equip us um, to, to, to fulfill and to be obedient to what he's called us to do as a local church. So today we're going to look at a fourth one. I will build my church. I will come to you. I'll make you fishers of men. Today we will look at what I call, I will give you words and wisdom. And we see this directly from scripture in our text this morning, Luke chapter 21. We're going to read that first this morning, and then we're going to pray and commit our time to the Lord. So pick it up with me, Luke chapter 21 in verse 10. The word of the Lord. Then he, speaking of Jesus, Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all of this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. 
You will be delivered up, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you will be put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Let me give to you very, very quickly, even before we pray, let me give to you one phrase. I want you to write this down. A lot of times we take all of scripture, we, we kind of narrow it down, we boil it down to one nugget of truth, what I call a big idea or the big light bulb. This text reminds us, here it is, that tough times bring opportunities to be a shining testimony of God's good promises. I want you to know that. That's what we want to extract from this. We're going to squeeze from this text. We hold on to it as we head out in just a few moments. Tough times bring opportunities to be a shining testimony of God's good promises. This is some good stuff for us this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we come into your presence and we thank you that every, every song that we have sung, it's, it's for you. We thank you for this word that is for you. It's about you. I thank you, Lord, for this day that is it's for you. I thank you, Lord, for this church. This is for you. Lord, I would pray right now, as I am in need of the ministry of your spirit, that you would equip and empower as you promise. Not, not just, Lord, in the speaking, but all of us as, as hearers, as listeners. God, I would ask that you would encourage our hearts by the promises that we can hold on tight in these days. Father, my heart uh, goes out um, to the Smith family. I think of Chris Smith, the CEF director whom the Lord you called home so at such a young age. I pray, Lord, for comfort for his wife and his children. Lord, at times like this, may we lean into your sovereignty and trust. May you, Lord, direct us and guide us in how best to minister. Father, we pray for our dear brother and sister, uh, Brian and Rachel and the boys as they're in root home shortly. Lord, help us to receive them and to love on them. Help us, Lord, even on this day to be aware of those that are sitting around us as we seek to minister and, and bear one another's burdens. Help us, Lord, to be aware of those that live alongside of us and work alongside in this community that we, Lord, would, would be, as your word teaches us, the salt and the light. Lord, that's our prayer. Guide us. May you be glorified in this process. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Two points I want to give to you this morning. The first one, right out of the gates, I want you to write this down, that we need to learn to see adversity as opportunity. First of two points. Number one, we need to learn to see adversity as opportunity. Do you, do, you ever, do you ever worry about things? You, you, ever, you ever just kind of wake up in the middle of the night and there's something that's heavy and nagging? 
Or perhaps you, you ponder, you wonder, like, I wonder, like, what's around the bend? Like, what, what if? Like, what, what, what if the wheel falls off? I have found, and I confess at times, I can, I can, be, I can be worrying about worrying about things. That, that we work ourselves up into these tight, these our stomachs or knots. Today, I want to encourage you through the word of God that the Lord is all over this. He's all over every situation that you and I could ever face. What we need to see here is Jesus is speaking these words. He speaks the words that we just read um, towards the latter part or the end, the conclusion of his public earthly ministry. It's shortly before his arrest his trial, his crucifixion, and his resurrection, the, the correlating text. The same, same verses, same words are found in Matthew 24 and 25, uh, Mark chapter 13, and then as we read in Luke chapter 21. The setting is, is, is given right out of the gate. Luke 21 verse 1, it talks about the fact that Jesus was teaching in the temple and he was preaching the gospel. This is right around the time that he was sitting watching the, the widow. Remember the widow put her widow's might in same time, same set. He's sitting there and he's teaching in the temple and preaching the gospel. Now he talks about the fact that there's going to be the final days or the last days of the church of Jesus Christ. And he talks about the fact that it's, it's, it's going to be a horrible, horrible string of events. And he describes them. There's going to be earthquakes and famines and pestilence and, and terrors and great signs. All of this leading to an event that is referred to as the abomination of, of desolation or the tribulation or the great tribulation and ultimately the second return, the second coming of Christ. When we preach through the, the gospel of Mark, we spent significant time on this. And what is interesting is that prior to that time, that precise time, or prior to those days, it clearly states, but before all of that, before all of this, there will be days or there will be a time, listen very carefully, it says that they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. So prior to these horrific, horrid events, Prior to that, there's going to be days that they will lay hands on you. And this is not a hand of blessing, okay? This is the time. These are the days that we are living in right now. We know what, perhaps not for those in in comfy, cozy America, but we know literally right now for millions upon millions of our brothers and sisters in Christ, they are suffering for the work of the gospel. If any of you have been following the story of some of our own that we support and love and pray for, as we get reports from those serving in places like Indonesia, where it is so hostile that, that those that we love and support, they can't even go back to the town that they planted a church in. They're actually exiled to another town because it's too dangerous. They're not allowed back. That's, that's the day and time that we live in. Now, we know that's the case for many, but we also understand that what? This is not necessarily what it is like in the United States of America right now. United States of America right now, we will do anything. We we live in like a bubble wrap society. We will do anything to keep us from any pain and any peril, right? This This is America, we got our doors locked and we got our guns 
cock. That's the way that we live life. What we need to understand, what we need to know and note and be prepared for is this. I'm about truth. When one chooses to follow Jesus, I'm in, okay? I'm all wet. Things will not get progressively easier. Things will get progressively harder. Let me say that again. When one chooses to follow Jesus, things will not get progressively easier. They're actually going to get progressively harder. Jesus even said it like this. If, if the world hates you, I want you to know this. They hated me first. John chapter 15, verse 18. I want you to know that when it gets hard, in those days, they will lay hands on you. Jesus promises what? I'm going to give you what you need. Glock 45, right? No, no. I will give you what you need. I'll give you words. And I'll give you wisdom. The, 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 the words. We, we read from the ESV. It says, I'll give you mouth and wisdom. I actually like the wording of the NIV because it's alliterated. It says words and wisdom. It's the Greek word stoma. It means what? The ability to communicate orally which means that there's going to become a time that some words, like you're going to actually have to say something, okay, it's going to come out so other people can hear, you'll have to say. It's not just about just, 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 just watch me, that's all it is. No, no, words will be spoken, real words, literal, literal words. She says, I'll give you stoma, I'll give you what? I'll give you Sophia, I'll give you wisdom. Wisdom is what? The capacity to understand and thence act wisely. What a perfect description when things heat up, how desperately we will need both words and wisdom. Thankfully, words and wisdom will be given. Why? Because words and wisdom will be needed. Jesus is bang on. So we we think about this, and, and as we have studied and kind of stepped back and looked at the church as a whole, it seems somewhat challenging to understand because we've also looked at some of the early church history, Acts chapter 2. And we've had descriptions of what it was like in first century Middle Eastern culture, our spiritual forefathers. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42, all the way through verse 47, it talks about like what, what they did and, and how they handled and, and how they did church. They gathered together for the breaking of bread It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They were fellowshipping together. They're praying together. They're they're praising God in song. They're sharing with, with one another everything that anyone needed. They just shared. Then there's this description. It says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, it says that what? And the Lord, they had favor with all, and the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. Now, now, I want you to think about this for a moment. There's a little bit of a hard time to figure out, wait a minute, at some level, if we do what we're called to do as a church, people will have favor toward us, right? They'll like us. And yet, according to what we read in Luke chapter 21, they're going to lay hands and persecute. There's not favor, there's fury. You ever wonder, like, how do we, like, how do we, how do those, how do those, how does favor and How do they jive together? How do we marry those two? How do we live? 
How do we minister within context of the local church, knowing that at some level we will be loved, and yet at some level we will be hated? Some display favor, some display fury. Is there perhaps a contradiction in scripture here? We know that over church history, there has been an ebb and flow of all of these times represented. Today, I think if you are completely honest, we examine what the context of the local church in the country that we are living in at this moment, I think that you would agree with me that not a lot of people have like tremendous favor towards the local church of Jesus Christ. They perhaps don't have fury either. George Barna conducted a, a, a survey, a survey research primarily amongst young people, ages 16 to 29. And he asked the question, so what is your thought about Christians, about the local church. Uh, People between the ages of 16 and 29 responded, uh, non-Christians describe Christians like this as judgmental. We've all heard that before. You guys just just judge. They, They describe the church as hypocritical. You're not being genuine. We've heard that time and time again, sadly. They've described the the church of Jesus Christ as old-fashioned, as too political, as out of touch with reality. They've described the church as being insensitive and boring. No, I understand that's what, that's a survey. We can read surveys and and read stats, almost convince us anything that we want. But, But it was that one word that I keep returning to from Acts chapter two, favored, like, dude, Do we have any favor with those outside? Word favor is from the Greek word charis. It's connected to the word that we use for grace. It literally literally means graciousness, a, a divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in life. In very plain and simple terms to have favor, it's the impact of God on the inside that's to be reflected to those on the outside, that, that means something. What it means is that the way that you choose to live your life, the way that, that we together all live our lives, our character, our conduct, and our conversation as Christians are to be what? Shining examples of graciousness to those in the world around us. The way we live our lives is to reveal absolute integrity, honesty, at the deepest level. The way we live our lives is to, to, to show purity and kindness and goodness and love and to offer hope. The CEV, the contemporary English version, translates that phrase like this, everyone like them. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, the message says, the people in general liked what they saw. It got me thinking, is that what people think of us, Big Woods Bible Church in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania, do we have favor with all? I think, I think if there's a word that comes to mind when we think about the context of the local church in the culture, the word that comes to mind is indifferent. People can what? They can take us or leave us. It's really not a, a big deal. We hear stuff today like, you know what? If it works for you, fine. To each its own. It's, it's, it's no biggie. You want church? You can have church. It's just 
not for me, right? We've heard that all the time. It's a laissez-faire attitude of letting things take their, their own course without interfering. You guys, don't bother me. Just, just, just give me a place to park. Don't bother me, and I won't bother you. That's generally, there's not a lot of favor, but there's certainly not a f- lot of fury. It's just, a, it's just an indifference. We just kind of exist. And I don't believe that that is the, the response, the God-ordained response toward the church that it should be. Kind of interesting, you spend any time throughout the Gospels. That is certainly not the reaction, how people responded when they spent time with Jesus. People spent time with Jesus, they, they obviously and ultimately fell into one of two categories. They loved him or they hated him. And we see that all the way through. There's, there's several occasions just in the gospel of Matthew where it says they saw Jesus and they literally fell down on their knees and they worshiped him. Matthew chapter two, remember the three kings? Remember the, the Christmas story? They saw baby Jesus and they just fell down and worked. They loved him. By the time you get to Matthew chapter eight, a leper comes covered in, in a diseased leprosy, just falls down and worshiped and cries out. We know that in, in Matthew chapter 9, a ruler who needed his daughter healed it. Matthew chapter 28, after the resurrection, the followers, the disciples of Jesus, they saw him. It says they fell down and they worshipped him. People spent time with Jesus. They loved him or what? We know through the gospel of John, we see in two different times. John chapter 5 and John chapter 11. It says that they sought to kill him. Speaking mostly of the religious leaders, the scribes, And the Pharisees, they saw him and they want him dead. That's generally the reaction. So why why is it, why is it that in many, many places throughout the world, Christians are hated, they are despised. They're literally being arrested. They are being imprisoned. They are being beaten and killed. And yet here we live in a culture that the church is, you know what, don't bother me and I won't bother you. So many are completely indifferent. They don't give a rip about the local church. They don't give a rip about our mission. They don't give a rip about our message. And they certainly don't give a rip about the members of the church of Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, but, but at least what? At least there's no hostility, right? Isn't indifference better than apathy? We'll take apathy over hostility. If we do too much, if we kind of lean into the community too much or too hard, then what? Then there could be some fury, and we certainly don't want that. And we live with what? The dreaded doom of (gasps) what's around the corner? Like what's next? What's going to happen to us? Let's step back and look at who we are. Ecclesia. What, what, What is the church? The meaning of the word church. We are gathered together for a purpose. We gather here for a purpose. I just prayed what? Lord, this is all for you. This is all about you. We have one single purpose that everything we do, we do it for the glory of God. Ultimately, that's why we are here. We do this for the glory of God. And we know secondly, the way that we glorify God more than any other way is what? According to Matthew 28, go make disciples. Teach people to obey everything that I have commanded. 
So we know what our purpose is. It's very clearly outlined in scripture. Glorify God. We do this, what? By going, making disciples. We know that we are given the ability to do it, the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter one says, what? You will have power come upon you to be witnesses. So we know, we know what our purpose is. We know that the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do it. Why, why is it then that there are so few that have favor and yet there are so few, at least in our culture, that have purity? Why is the church in many ways and in many people's mind relegated to meaningless? You guys do what you want. Why is that? What do we do about that? I, I'm certainly not suggesting, well, let's, let's do anything we can just to be loved. Let, let's, let's just take this, because there's like some strong, let's just toss this out, or let's tear pages out, okay, just to make sure that we are loved. No, I'm not, not saying that. And I'm certainly not saying, let's, let's do everything we can to be hated. You go where you belong. No, no, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying them, and I'm asking. So I wonder, has, has the ecclesia become a lot about us and a little about Jesus? If people spend time with Jesus, it's pretty clear. Pretty clear from Acts chapter 2 to Luke chapter 21 what the response is. How? The church that we read about, the model that is given to us, our spiritual brothers and sisters, forefathers over the years, they, there's a lot. They, they literally, you, you need this? I have two, you go ahead and have one. They didn't, they didn't stockpile, they didn't store up. But they, they bear one another's burdens like God's word tells us to do. They loved, they loved being together. They, they, they weren't trying to, to knock and drag people out. Okay, you got to come and you better stay here. No, they just love to be together. They love to eat together and laugh and pray and sing. They love to listen to the word of God being taught. They had favor and Lord added. We understand there's a lot there. It reminds us that regardless of what favor or regardless of the fact that there may be at some point fury, this text is an amazing reminder of what? It doesn't really matter about the outside influences, likes or dislikes. You know the little thumb up, I like it, or the thumb down, we don't? It's kind of irrelevant because we know what? The promise is God himself says, I'll give you everything that you need. Fury is shown your way. Hostility is shown. Pressure is, is put, is pushed upon you. God gives. God gives everything that's needed. And the church wins. Revelation chapter 5. I alluded to that earlier. Outside influence, there's likes. Wow, you guys are amazing. No, no, no. God, God gives us words and wisdom to respond even in that. Therefore, what is needed? What is our action point? What do we do? Number two, here it is, write this down. Trust that God give you a well-worded testimony or a well-worded story. 
The delight is, is that we are given the, the privilege to weave together the gospel of Jesus Christ with the own journey that we have lived, our own testimony, our own story. We can weave these things together into an amazing, powerful testimony of God's grace. Trust God to give you a well-worded testimony. Matthew Henry comments on this one phrase in Luke chapter 21. It's somewhat of a long quote, but it's perfect. I love Henry. He says this in regards to comment on, I will give you words and wisdom on that one phrase. Matthew Henry says this, and I quote, it means that, that God will stand by you. I love this and own you. I'll give you words and I'll give you wisdom. God will stand by you and own you and assist you in your trials. You are his advocates and you shall be well furnished with instructions. This proves Christ to be God, for it is God's prerogative to give wisdom, and he it is that made man's mouth. Note first, a mouth and wisdom together completely fit a man both for services and sufferings, wisdom to know what to say, and a mouth wherewith to say it, as it should be said. It is a great Happiness to have both matter and words wherewith to honor God and do good, end quotes. What a summary statement. What a, what a brilliant comment on amazing text. That we live and we die with one simple, single message, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that there is a holy God who created everything out of nothing, created us in his own image, but man chose to disobey. And what? And because of God's, God's holiness, it shows us how far we are in our own sinfulness. There's a great chasm. But God sent his only son, Jesus Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That by putting our faith in the finished work of Jesus, we can be brought into full relationship, intimate communion, the holy, sovereign creator, God. That we desire to live in full obedience to him. And we get to wrap that around our own story. It says, you don't, you don't realize how far I was, my sinfulness I'm a holy God. That God promises to give to us all that we need as a well-worded testimony. You go back to first century, and I love history, I love church history. Go back to first century Middle Eastern world where this, this happened, where this was birthed. Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, it was then, just like it is today, considered the, the, the melting pot of much of the world. The church of Jesus Christ had favor in spite of the fact that there were like crazy cultural differences and distinctions that were in that very city. Social differences, religious backgrounds, beliefs, language barriers, it didn't matter. They had favor with all of them, the rich and and the royalty, the righteous, the unrighteous, the poor. It favored with them all, the blind, the beggars, the lame, the lepers, the, the, the crooks and thieves, educated, uneducated, soldiers, smiths, farmers, fishermen, craftsmen. All of it 
You know what's interesting is that we live in a country, we are blessed by God's grace to live in a country that is also considered what? A melting pot. You've heard that. That we have right, right here in the little corner of our own country, in our own community, right here, we have a little glimpse of every difference that could ever exist in all of humanity. We have a message that is unprecedented, that has eternal weight and significance. And for some reason, I'm fearful for missing the opportunity of presenting the full weight of the gospel into the melting pot that we've all been called to live in. Yeah, but what's the response? Yeah, but there's just, there's just, there's just so much noise out there, Right? I mean, there's so many, there's so many options and there's so many different directions that people can go and there's so many distractions. And we see there's just, there's just too many needs and there's too little time and, 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 and there's too little resources and we, and we need help with this and we don't know what to do. We don't know where to go. We need and we need and we need and we need. Stop, stop right there. I will give you the words and the wisdom. It goes right back to what? I will build my church. It goes right back to what we learned. I will come to you. And I will make you fishers of men. So what? Regardless of the fact that you may have favor or regardless of the fact that you may have fury, Jesus says, I'll, I'll teach you what to say. I'll, I'll tell you how to speak, what to say, when to say it. I know that I hear oftentimes, yeah, but isn't it, like, isn't there some ownership on them? Like, don't they have to, like, want the gospel? Like, like those, don't they have to want life change at, at some level? You've all heard this statement before. It's a true statement. You've probably heard it from the old farmers amongst us. It says, it goes like this. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. That's very true. Tried it before. Just, you just can't. Then there's another statement that the old farmers used to say. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. But you can what? But you can... You can Give them salt. What does salt do? Salt makes horses thirsty, just like salt makes people thirsty. You're down one of those little sleeves of, of, of Doritos or, or what's the ones in the can? Pringles, yeah, the sweet barbecue ones. You down one of those sleeves and you, there's gotta be some iced tea or some iced lemonade or iced something. There's gotta be something. Salt makes people thirsty. So when you say, wait a minute, isn't it at some level ownership on those out there to want the gospel? They want to uh, lead a horse water, but you can't make them drink, but you can give them salt. Wait a minute. What does Jesus in Matthew chapter five refer to us as? The salt of the earth. Which means what? The way that we live our lives. Literally through the conversations that we hold, the subjects that we talk about, 
through our, the, 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 the company and the, the conduct, through what I would refer to as the effervescent joy of our journey. And we should be in absolute joy. What? Then, then we can encourage people through our conversation and our conduct and our company. We encourage people to trust God. To give us the right words and the testimony to make people thirsty for the good news of Jesus Christ. So what do we do with this? There's not a lot of action items other than the fact that we have to trust. Tell you what, it's, it's, it's challenging days. It's interesting days. It's, it's not going to be progressively easier. I'm sorry that it's a dark rainy day and you hear that message. I was hoping for sunshine. But it's true. Gonna get, it's going to get more difficult. But trust. Sense God's presence, ministry, and power in your life to give you the precise words and the wisdom with how to respond so that we become an effective church. We truly become salt and light in a very needy, in a very dark world. Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for this promise Thank you, Lord, that you will give to us everything that we need. Father, I would pray that we would not worry. We would not, we would not have to, to hug and, and hold on to our notes, but we would trust you at the right moment to give us everything that is needed so we can direct people your direction. We know in your sovereignty that you draw people, and we ask that you would continue to do that, but you would use us Equip us and empower us to be faithful followers of Jesus for your glory and for yours alone. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.